Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. We are now less than two weeks from the start of college football. We've seen All the NFL teams play a preseason game with some of the rookie quarterbacks having quite the day in their first action, uh, all be they glorified scrimmages. The Tigers are keeping our attention as they go back and forth for second place in the AL Central, and Miggy is one teed-up fastball from 500 career dingers. And you know we love our golf here. Last week was yet another epic playoff, and the FedEx Cup playoff starts this week with the Northern Trust at Liberty National. This year feels more wide open than most of for this three-week push, so who's it going to be? We won't necessarily talk about that today, but in the coming weeks for sure. We'll have to toss that out. Like I said, in the next couple weeks, we've got way too much to cover this week. Maybe we'll just run a two-minute drill one of these weeks to cover off shorter topics because they're flying in fast and furious. It's a lovely time of the year. Anyway, with that set up, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Yep, uh, this week I'm going to start off with uh, something that came out, I think it was late last week, uh, maybe mid last week, don't really remember, but um, if you haven't seen, um, well, there's a little uh, thing that came out from BYU football, it says BYU football could deal could test limits of new NIL system, and if you're wondering what that is, um, this new walk-on and scholarship dilemma, uh, BYU, they have a sponsor, some power bar, energy bar, I don't know, sponsor that big-time BYU grad that is going to pay for the scholarships of all the walk-ons, um, which is really cool. Um, I mean, I, I love those stories of when uh, walk-ons get their scholarships and earn it. earn it in front of people, but that's the word right there um, that I wanted to hammer home, earn it. Um, these guys are not as good um, as, as guys are on scholarship and they're earning a scholarship, which is, which is fine. I mean, if they're getting academic money or something, but this, like I've, I've been saying for the past couple weeks, college sports is going in the wrong direction. And this is just another, just pegged down for college, college athletics as a whole. Uh, I think that this could just get rid of scholarship limits. I heard talk about it on the radio. That would be insane. Um, then schools could, like Alabama, they could literally have a roster full of four and five stars. Some guys walk on, but still get a full scholarship. Same with Ohio State, Clemson, etc. If they do this, uh, it's basically the NFL. Um, 
So I don't know what's going to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if this keeps happening um, and guys are like, oh, well, I can just go to BYU and I ne- don't necessarily have an open scholarship, but I'm going to get my school paid for. It's the same thing. Uh, not good. No, and I mean, talk about a couple things. Balance of power shifts immediately to the six to eight schools that would have plenty of four and five stars waiting to play there, even if it meant sitting for two years. And the other big part of that is how is this amateur anymore if everybody gets paid? What is this? The, the Everybody gets a trophy, everybody finishes first. I've got a solution to it all. Who cares about a 12-team playoff, an 18-team playoff, 14-team, 16-team, whatever? Everybody wins. Everybody gets a national championship because that is where the hell college football is going if that kind of stuff takes hold. Great, you want to give some walk-on scholarships. Like Ryan said, I'm all for it. Usually I wouldn't jump in on his podium, but that's really the first time I've heard the details of that, and (laughs) that pisses me off. Probably could have made my own podium out of it. My take from the podium, I'm going to talk a little bit of Big Ten ACC Pac-12 Alliance. Yes, the three conferences have been talking about an alliance, not about who they're going to pluck and grab from the you know ravaged, now leftover Big 8. None of that stuff expansion. They're talking about an alliance. And a few things I've read of late, highly, and by the way, I highly recommend, again, the Athletic for Superior Coverage when it comes to sports stuff like this, suggests that these three do not need to jump headlong into expansion. And while I would argue that adding a few teams, like in the Big Ten, to get to 16 and rejiggering the Big Ten divisions for sure would be a wise move for competitive balance, I actually really like and agree with this logic. What it's about is providing marquee games to draw TV money. Because as we know, as Ryan's teed us up a million times on the pod lately, it's all about the dough. Oklahoma, Texas clearly add to the wallet for the SEC. They bring marquee names, you know, it's a big games. So why not an alliance between the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12? Big Ten is already pretty close to the SEC in terms of marquee games. It, they would be helping the ACC and the Pac-12 out, but they could help each other out as well collectively as a group. So why not this alliance between the three that includes one non-conference game annually with the other two conferences, and then you just leave the third up to the schools? So, um, you know, like Michigan State wants to play Eastern or Western or Central, for example. Include Notre Dame as part of the ACC alliance. Let them maintain their independence if they want, whatever, that's fine. Because they already play teams from these leagues almost exclusively anyway. Can you imagine a season where Ohio State plays Clemson and USC, and then like an Akron? UCLA plays Michigan and Miami, and maybe a Fresno. Florida State plays Michigan State and Oregon, and maybe a USF. And all three also play Notre Dame. The Big Ten runs just shy of the SEC in terms of the magic 4 million viewers that the biggest games draw. What would replacing Ohio State Akron or UCLA Fresno or Florida State UCF with Clemson, Michigan, and Oregon mean? A hell of a lot more eyeballs and toe-to-toe with the SEC. That's what. If the Pac-12 wants to take four from the now Big 8 and the Big Ten two to both get to 16 teams and match up with the ACC, fine, do it. Then let's get this schedule alliance going because it also works, as we see every year, with things like the ACC Big Ten Challenge and hoops. This makes total sense. It's better than some complete reconfiguring of the leagues. 
You need not teams, you need money. And the Big Ten is that close to the SEC already. Why not partner up, pony up, share a little bit with the Pac-12, ACC. The three of them are combined in alliance on other things that way. You've got more voting power. It all makes a lot of sense to me. All right. For our personal foul of the week, Ryan is going to tell you who we are flagging, and I'll tell you why. Yep, uh, this week our personal foul is going to be the little red uniforms that Nebraska came out with last week. Do me a favor, don't look at them. Uh, the, it's got to be a joke, <laughs> right? It, it, I mean, it might be. Who knows with social media these days? You can't tell what's real. Maybe if it has a blue check mark, maybe not. I don't. I don't know. I'm not even on Twitter. But ESPN Radio last week on one of my days driving to Holland into the office was talking about it, and then I had to give it a look for myself. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. I don't pretend to be 18 to 22, but I'm pretty hip when it comes to you know the sweet alt looks. This ain't it. If you don't know Nebraska football or Lil Red. Let me explain a little bit. Lil Red is the Cornhuskers quote-unquote mascot. He's kind of like an inflatable bobblehead brought to life. Farm boy looks right down to the red overalls he wears. The key there, red overalls. The alt uniforms, picture this if you haven't seen it. Red pants. Not off-brand for Nebraska. Typically they would play with white, but once in a while red. But the jersey up top is made to look like you're wearing the rest of a red pair of overalls with those pants. And it looks, as I described it, utterly freaking ridiculous. Cool uniforms and even cooler alt looks abound in college football. But this is one hell of a miss, Nebraska. And to boot, they're bringing them out for the Oklahoma game. Hmm. Uh, maybe the goal is to distract the Sooners into hysterical laughing for 60 minutes and pull off an epic upset or something. No way. Uh, uh, personal foul, Nebraska. Do not bring those out. Tell us it was a joke. All right. That all out of the way, let's go four downs. As we started last week, we're going to dive even deeper into it this week. And for first down... Uh, we will bring you three Big Ten East previews. Ryan's going to take you through Maryland. I'll jump on with Michigan, and Ryan will finish up with Penn State. And, of course, next week we'll cover Michigan State and Ohio State for the Big Ten East to round it out. All right, Ryan, take us through Maryland. Yeah, the Terps, uh, year three under Mike Loxley. Um, he's 5-12 and 12, um, in his tenure there, um, and he was – at New Mexico before that, um, as his other head coach gave, he was two and thirty-four. I, I want to say uh, something along those lines. So not good, um, but came from Alabama as an offensive coordinator, and here he is coaching the Terps. Uh, he was the interim coach in twenty fifteen after Durkin got fired, or whatever twenty sixteen, whatever year that was. Um, he was there for a short time, but um, yeah, I, I to be honest with you, I don't see the hype. I've heard people say this is a top. 40 or 35 team in America. I think this is a bad football team, to be honest with you. I think they're poorly coached. Uh, and I don't think their personnel is, is very uh, overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination. Dan Enos, former Spartan and Spartan coach, former CMU coach, uh, coached at Arkansas, Miami of other places. Uh, he's their new offensive coordinator. Uh, that's interesting. I don't know 
what he didn't have a lot of success in his last he's offensive not, coordinator. He's not gig. been very successful. I don't see how that's a huge hire. Uh, Tulia Tagabailoa, Tua's brother, is a quarterback back for year two after transferring from Bama. He averaged 252.8 yards passing per game last year. Pretty good, third in the Big Ten, uh, but he lost. Some decent weapons. Um, his offensive line is okay. They're they're decent. They have okay depth, but not anything all Big Ten or honorable mention material by any stretch of the imagination. Um, guys to watch for him at receiver: Dante Demus Jr. and Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett was a good freshman last year. I think he's a five-star recruit from 20, 2020. Uh, then they got Tayon Fleet Davis. He's their best returning running back. Average running back at best. I mean, he's not going to – he's no um, Ezekiel Elliott or something like that for, for Maryland. But he's okay, uh, decent. Uh, their their defense gave up 32 points last year per game and four, over 430 yards per game. That's what concerns me. I think their offense can score a lot, I mean, if they, if they stay healthy. But their defense is pretty bad. Um, and they lost – a fair amount of people from that defense. They have a decent secondary, safety Nick Cross. He's all Big Ten caliber. Um, I think he might be preseason all Big Ten. Some long-rangey corners, but they're young. Like I said, not much back. Uh, so it should be interesting to see what they do um, on defense. I don't. Maybe we'll try to get in track meets with people, Big 12 style, but I, I just don't see it. Um, another guy to watch out for is Darrell Nachami, uh, he's back from injury uh, on the D line. He sat out all last year with a um, with a knee injury. He's back, but otherwise they don't have much um, going for him. The Terps do uh, down in College Park, Maryland. But uh, going through their schedule, not overly difficult. I mean, the Big Ten East obviously difficult, but they, they I guess they do have a tough non-conference game. They start off uh, home against West Virginia. And we believe that's going to be a loss. Uh, West Virginia's got a pretty good club. Neil Brown's an up-and-coming coach. Um, 0-1 for the Terps after week one. Now then they play Howard. Um, close by, uh, Washington, D.C. school. Uh, that's definitely a win. Then they play Illinois uh, week three. We believe that's going to be one of Illinois' only wins in the conference there. Um, so L there. Then Kent State, definitely a win. Uh, home against Iowa. Definitely a loss at Ohio State. I mean, loss. Then they have a bye week, week seven, and then they go to Minneapolis. That's a loss as well for us. Then home against Indiana, loss. Home against Penn State, loss. At Michigan State, loss. Home against Michigan, loss. And they finish off against Rutgers. Could they get the win to get to three and nine? We don't think so. We think the Terps are going to go two and one out of conference and the dreaded 0-9 in-conference, tough, tough sled way of going for the for the Terps this year. We think they're going to be bad. Mike Loxley might be on his way out. Uh, tough schedule. There's an awful lot of love for Maryland there. What Would you say their over-under for wins is like six and yeah, a half? Yeah, it's like five, six I mean, or six and a half on most of the... Uh, I just... I mean, I maybe if under. you put them in the West... Maybe if you put them in the West, they get to 500, not in the East. No I, I just don't think they're you a know. good football team, but they could prove me wrong. But as of now, I, they haven't pro- proven anything at being in the Big Ten. I don't know if they've made a bowl game since they've been in the Big Ten. Yeah, I don't know if they have. I mean, I just, yeah, we're, we're bucking the national trend who seems to love them. Sorry, SVP, I know you're a Terp through and through, but your boys ain't got it this year. Better look forward to basketball. 
All right. I will take on Michigan. It's not a secret, obviously, how I feel about Michigan. But, as Al Chervik says in Caddyshack, keep it fair, keep it fair. As in, I will keep it fair. No bias here. The question everyone is asking is, is this the end for old khaki pants? Or is year seven lucky seven? Like we've been saying for most of the teams in the East, if Michigan played in the West, maybe they could break into the mix that competes for the tit- the you know that half title maybe but they don't so alas Wolverines fans i'd encourage you not to get your hopes up too high michigan had a lot of coach and personnel turnover this offseason maybe that's good maybe not we'll find out they also had another great recruiting class that's not a shocker they always do at least by ranking standards and i I don't know if I've really voiced how I feel about rankings. I think they're they're a little overblown, but that to the side. It's a different topic, different day. There were some bright spots to build off for this year, but the offense remains a bit of a question, and I'm still not sold Harbaugh knows it's 2021 and not 1984. Can he find a rhythm on both sides of the ball at the same time? We'll get a few early tastes for sure. All right, for key players. Any key player list for the maize and blue has to start with quarterback. I'd say this has to be the biggest area of continual disappointment for Michigan during Harbaugh's tenure. His only really pretty good quarterbacks have been transfers, and most of the next big things have transferred out of Michigan themselves. Joel Milton, Joe Milton was, quote, it last year until he wasn't. The good news for Michigan fans is Cade McNamara has won the job, and he showed some flashes last year. Will that translate this season? Time will tell. The good news for McNamara is the Michigan line, which went into the season very green last year, but turned out to be a strength, even if there's not like that one or two head-turning top two, you know, top two-round draft picks for the NFL. Zach Charbonnet, who is a very good running back, left for UCLA, but Haskins and Corum are good and look for Ronnie Bell to be the guy at wide receiver. Michigan's defense was pretty subpar in a albeit wacky 2020, and their best player, Quiddy Pay, is now playing on Sundays. The boys in blue had very little pass rush, which is actually rare for them. They struggled to make big plays in the defensive backfield, and they really lacked at linebacker. Can they get better on this side of the ball? The talent is there. Guys like Aiden Hutchinson, who's back from injury, linebacker John Ross, Michael Barrett, and all four of last year's starting defensive backs are back. But can they get a boost from some new guys and make enough improvements to keep the Wolverines in big games? Speaking of games, we'll start to find out in in week two when the Washington Huskies come calling what Michigan really has. And then week five, when the first road trip happens, a potential season maker or breaker in Madison. Seems like last year Michigan was riding a little bit high. Well, they had lost to Michigan State, but was playing a little bit better, and then Wisconsin came in and smacked them around in the big house. So that's that's a circle game for them this year. Games at Penn State and Michigan State are as big as home tilts with Indiana. And after a year away, we won't get into what our thoughts are on why. Ohio State's back. A team, oh, by the way, Michigan has not beaten since 2011 and has only conquered three times in the 2000s. That's got to make Wolverines fans cringe. I'm they might throw a parade for Harbaugh if he finally gets that win or for the next coach who gets that win. I don't necessarily see it this year, which gets us to record um, game by game that Ryan and I walked through. So 
This is how we have it playing out for Michigan. We start off with Western Michigan, a pretty decent MAC foe, but we're, we're going to give them a pretty easy win there. Next, they play Washington. We actually have Washington coming in and giving them the L. Granted, don't know a ton about Washington, but just kind of seems like the type of game lately Michigan has tripped on early, that kind of chance to shine. Um, whereas even with Hoke and what's his name before? Rich Rod. Rich Rod. They, they seem to win those big September games. Then it's Northern Illinois with a win, although Rocky Lombardi's coming back to the house, and we know what Rocky did last year in the green and white. Um, and then game number four in a row, week four, is Rutgers. Michigan struggled with Rutgers a little bit last year, and actually Cade McNamara, I think, pulled them out, if I remember, of the the clutches of defeat and gave them the win. Mm-hmm. They'll get a win here. So a pretty good start. Then there's that game against Wisconsin. That's a loss. At Nebraska is a win. Um, a bye week. A win against Northwestern. And maybe a little bit of the bias comes through here. Maybe it's because of last year. Maybe it's because we know Michigan State is going to be a lot better. But they're going to go to East Lansing and get their first loss in East Lansing in a few years. They've actually won, I think, the last two or three trips there. They're going to come back after that, though, PO'd, and they're going to get a dub against Indiana, who got them last year. But then it's a loss against Penn State, sandwiched around a win against hapless Maryland, and then, I'm sorry, fellas, another loss to Ohio State. Now, where does that leave them? Two and one out of conference, five and four in conference, but that's actually good for tied for third, and seven and five overall. And don't worry, your name brand will get you to uh, the Outback Bowl. It will be, I think, a season of what ifs. I do think Michigan should probably be maybe a little bit better. Be I think better. I think they're over under for wins is seven and a half, so we're taking obviously a little bit of the under. Um, you know, they very well could flip the script on a couple of those games. Some of those are pretty sure locks that they'll win. Some of the ones that we have them losing certainly could go either way. Um, you know, they could beat a Washington for sure. I just don't see it against Ohio State. They could come to East Lansing and beat Michigan State. Uh, they could beat Penn State. I just, um, I, I just don't necessarily see it. I, you know, maybe they could squeeze out eight, maybe nine, but we we pretty much agreed across the board going in when we compared our picks, and we're going with seven and five. So that is where we landed on Michigan. Which leaves us to our third team from the East this year. Ryan, carry us through with Penn State. Yeah, uh, Penn State, a team that was a bit of a disappointment last year. Um, really disappointing start. Uh, James Franklin is in year 80, 60 and 28 overall, so pretty good. Um, had the good season, won the Big Ten in 2016. Um, and has had decent years, a few New Year's Six Bowls here and there. Um, but Sean Clifford's back he had back at quarterback, really disappointing 2020. Uh, this will be his third year as the starter. Um, he's got a new offensive coordinator. They fired their guy from last year. They'd come from Minnesota that they hired away from 2019, fired him. New guy. Um, maybe that'll help. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Um, he threw nine interceptions last year, so that's not a good look at all. Um, but he has two of the better receivers, in my opinion, in the Big Ten, and starting off with a guy who I think's one of the best in the conference that's Jahan Dotson size speed you name it um just another great Penn State receiver they always seem to have one really tall receiver that's got great hands but he's he's one of the best in the conference uh also great punt returner took one of the house against Michigan State last year um definitely watch out for Jahan Dotson then Parker Washington who's a freshman last year I think he can break through and be a star for him really fast smaller guy um yeah, he's he's pretty good. He, he's a guy to watch out for for sure. I think losing Pat Firemuth is going to hurt a little bit. 
Um, don't really have a proven tight end. They have three guys that could play play a key role, but no one along the lines of Farmuth or Mike Gesicki that's in the, in the NFL now. Um, but at running back, they have a few guys. Uh, Kayvon Lee, Devin Ford, and Keziah Holmes are all back. All played key roles last year. Kayvon Lee was really good. And then Noah Kane's back. He was hurt for most of last year. Um, if you don't remember, he was their starter at the beginning of the year. Hurt his foot. Uh, missed, I think, all but one game, the first one. Um, so having him back will be big. They have a, literally a four-headed monster. And then add a fifth head in John Levette from Baylor, who was a starter there for a couple years. Uh, brings depth position. Crowded, like Michigan State is at, at running back, honestly. But, um, yeah, really nice backfield for Penn State. I think the better um, than they were last year offensively. They have three offensive line starters back, which is good. Um, yeah, offense is going to be better. I, I really do think so. Uh, on defense, they only returned one one guy that played a key role on the line. That's P.J. Mustafer. Uh, they got a couple transfers, Derek Tangelo and Arnold Abikite from Temple. Um, both could play a role. Uh, Abikite is a D-end. Uh, he could even wreak havoc. He had a really good year last year and the year before for Temple. Um they should have the same three stars at linebacker. They were pretty shaky at that position last year. Um, just missing tackles, missing assignments, and that's not going to fly uh, when you're playing the likes of Ohio State and Wisconsin, all these teams. Um, so hopefully they can sure that up. Uh, and then in the secondary, they've returned three Castro Fields, who I think has been there since 2008, uh, and Jaquan Brisker, both really good players in secondary. Um, veterans have been there before. And they bring a lot of a lot of good good um, good experience to the position. Um, looking at their at their schedule, I mean they start off with a doozy playing the Badgers week one at Camp Randall. Uh, we we have that as an L. That's I think that would be a great game. That's the big noon game I think week one. Looking forward to that one for sure. Uh, week two playing Ball State. Um, yeah, they're gonna win that absolutely. Um, then they play. The Auburn Tigers, War Eagle, Week 3. I think that's the whiteout game, um, September 18th. We have that as a win. I think Auburn's overrated and Penn State's better than them, so that's a win. And then they play Villanova. If this was basketball, you'd have to go with Villanova, but not football. Uh, they're one A. That's a win. Has a 3-1 there. Then they play home against Indiana. Have that as a win as well. The um, redemption for last year. Yep, redemption after the... Some call controversial uh, touchdown by Michael Penix, or not touchdown, two-point conversion, I'm sorry, by Penix uh, in game one last year. And then they go to Iowa, a place where they've kind of struggled in the past. We think we'll get a win there. Uh, By week, week seven, then they're home against Illinois. That's a win. Uh, At Ohio State, that's going to be a loss. Um, At Maryland, that's definitely a win. Home against Michigan, win. Home against Rutgers win, and then they go to Michigan State in the last week the way it should be. Michigan State and Penn State for the Land Land Grant Grant Trophy Trophy. in the last week of the season, rivalry week. We say that's going to be an L for Penn State. Michigan State's going to beat them. We've we've had uh, Penn State's number the last few years. uh, Especially those late-season games more than the mid-season games, Mm -hmm. I would say for sure. So we have Penn State going 3-0 in out-of-conference. Six and three in the Big Ten, which is good for second place in the East. Nine and three overall, and a berth in the Citrus Bowl, where I feel like they go every other year. That definitely feels like that. All right, second down. Big Ten East out of the way for the week. Let's go to the West. 
I'm going to handle Iowa, then Ryan, Minnesota, and I'll close this out for the week with a look at Purdue. And then next week we'll cover, of course, Nebraska and Northwestern to round out our Big Ten previews. All right, Iowa. One of those teams that is always in the mix and arguably would probably be in the East too. They're just solid. Nothing flashy, but old school grind you out with NFL caliber offensive linemen and tight ends and surprising playmakers at skill positions. In the West, they are always a threat to win the title, though they have only been to the Big Ten Conference Championship game once, 2015, a instant classic, especially for Spartans fans. The Hawkeyes were a very good 6-2 last year, and a few crazy bounces from really 7-1 or better. I mean, one of their losses, I believe, was to Purdue early. This shouldn't have happened. Um, with many of those guys back this year, they've got to be considered a major threat to Wisconsin. In fact, they may be the only team to put up a fight out west this season. Semi-non football note. I am happy to see the return of the wave to the Children's Hospital. That is a cool tradition. It's not a very old tradition, but it's a great tradition in college football. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at it. Look it up. It's I think after the first quarter, started with the players, maybe a player who promised one of the kids in the Children's Hospital. Now the whole stand, the visiting team, they all wave to the kids in the in the window at the Children's Hospital. Very classy uh, tradition. All right, key players and a theme for my teams today. Iowa's leap from serious contender to a solo frontrunner rests solely on, really, I believe, the arm of junior quarterback Spencer Petrus. He's a big dude. He's 6'5", 230, and he's got an arm to match. But for him, big arm does not equal accuracy, and that is the key to Iowa's potential success this year. He has got to dial up much more accuracy. Running back Tyler Goodson could have, could have a huge year, but depth in the backfield is otherwise spotty and unproven. Now, we know Iowa's produced a lot of good running backs, so that's not necessarily something to be concerned about, but you know, something to keep an eye on early in the season. We know that um, the black and gold will boast a great line, even with only two starters back, and some um, you know, some double last-name dude will turn heads at wide receiver because, hey, one always does in Iowa City, it seems like. I feel like Iowa is always also sneaky good on defense. In fact, last year, they were top 10 in the nation and a brick wall in particular against the run. A couple of would-be super seniors opted not to come back, and Davion Nixon bolted early, but there should be eight starters back, and Iowa is about as fundamentally sound as it gets on defense. They may lack some of the hosses inside up front like they usually have, but Noah Shannon or Yaya Black... Yeah, I think it's Yahya or Yahya, I don't know how you say his last name, Black, or first name Black, should step in and up this year. Dane Belton is a hybrid guy to watch, and Jack Corner has all Big Ten cred as well in the defensive backfield. Um, key games-wise, Indiana at Kinnick to kick the season is a game I can't wait to watch. I think that's going to be a great battle of two very kind of different teams. The battle for Cyhawk will be epic in Week 2. You know, it's always a good rivalry game, kind of tucked early in the season, Week 2 or Week 3, but now it's going to be really good because Iowa State, I think, is AP and coaches pull top 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, They only draw Penn State as a tough team from the East and will take this schedule apart methodically. The only thing that's going to get in Iowa's way is potentially themselves, really, and, of course, a couple games in their division. All right, so game by game, their record... As you can guess, we have Iowa having a pretty good, successful season. Week one, a dub against Indiana, going to be a tough one. 
We have them taking the L at Iowa State in week two. Cyhawk goes to the Cyclones. Week three, another win over a Mac school. I, I'll probably share this next week. I have the Big Ten going something like 10 or 11 and 0 against the Mac this year. Um, week four, they play Colorado State. That's a dub as well. And then it's Maryland on the road win. Do have them losing to Penn State. That was a little bit of a, a back and forth between Ryan and I. I remember. You, know, you could remember like a really long field goal to beat Penn State one year when they were top maybe top three or five mm-hmm. for Iowa. But then I remember a year when Penn State scored in the last play of the game and um, yep. the stadium Kinnick there. So you know that's kind of a toss up. We we agreed to give that one an L and Penn State the big win there. Uh, Purdue win a little bit of revenge for last year. I think it was week one or week two when Purdue actually was pretty hot to start the season. They got Iowa by I believe it was four points. Then the telltale game is really the next two weeks. The next three weeks are what's going to make or break them in the West. But it starts with and kind of ends with the next week, a loss at Wisconsin. They're going to right the ship after that and win out against Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska on that uh, back-to-classic Black Friday game. Um, Kind of a fun one when you're putting up the Christmas tree or the Christmas decorations. I've always had that one on. That can be a classic. Sometimes it's a, a wackier game than you would expect. Where does that leave Iowa? Two and one non-conference, seven and two, uh, good for I believe solo second place. Yes, solo second place in the Big Ten West, nine and three overall, and a little tricky. It's hard to get a read on how this goes, but I believe if Ohio State goes where we think they're going to go, no spoiler alert yet, quite on that. Um, and Wisconsin goes to New Year's Six. I believe that still leaves Iowa in play for the Rose Bowl. They have actually not been there since 2016. They they get blowout loss to Stanford, but aside from that, they haven't been there since 1991. So I think that they would be attractive to the Rose Bowl in terms of Iowa fans travel. Pasadena is a great trip, so that's where we have Iowa going nine and three. Not too bad. Consolation prize Rose Bowl. Hey, I take that as a Michigan State guy. So, all right, Ryan, lead us through. I think it's mini haha next. Yeah, I think you forgot. Iowa's most important player, and that's center Tyler Lindebaum, a guy that's on the Remington watch list. Oh, nice. Um, you checking my homework. Yeah, he's. Um, I, they talk about him all the time on the radio, and he's a preseason All-American favorite. Um, seen him on some lists, so he's a guy to watch. Big fella. He's, and he's also on the freaks list of um, Bruce Feldman, I believe, so good athlete as well. But uh, moving over to the Gophs, uh, P.J. Fleck, row the damn boat. Um, back and ready to get back to their 2019 ways um, for sure. But, um, you know, I think it starts with Tanner Morgan. He's their quarterback, bald guy. He's back for year three as a starter. Uh, he's shown he's very capable, uh, but he had some really good receivers in the past, Rashad Bateman being one of them. Uh, but he's got some decent guys back, Chris Altman, Bell, and Daniel Jackson. They're going to fill in for Bateman. Uh, and they also got Dylan Wright. Texas A&M transfer brings a lot of speed. Uh, and then they have one of the top running backs in the Big Ten, I believe, in Muhammad Ibrahim. Uh, he's, yeah, ran for 1,076 yards last year, 15 touchdowns, was the Big Ten running back there, and did this all in seven games, mind you. They rode him like a rented mule, um, did the Gophers. So I think that that'll help a little bit, uh, having him back, veteran offensive line, um, maybe maybe him running the ball will get guys cheating up in the box and then maybe a tackle over top of speed, who knows. 
But Minnesota's offense in 2019 was really good. Let's see if they can do it again in 2021. Uh, they're moving on to their defense. Their defense had a lot of struggles last year. Um, gave up a lot of points, a lot of yards. Um, it frankly hurt them in a lot of games. I mean, lost close games because of it. Um, Jack Gibbons is an Abilene Christian transfer um, of all places, and he's going to be probably the starting middle linebacker. Apparently he's pretty good. Uh, from what I've read, Jordan Howden, Tyler Newbin are back at corner and helps them have a solid back four. Uh, guys with experience is all, always really good, especially in the Big Ten. Miles um, Fleming, four-star recruit, freshman. I uh, think he's going to contribute right away. Probably start at safety for him. He's a guy to watch for sure. Their biggest splash uh, in the transfer portal and just in recruiting general Niles Pinkney from Clemson, D-tackle. You know Clemson, they always have good D-tackles, D-ends. Uh, he played a little bit for Clemson, so he's pretty good, has experience. I think he'll be important for them down the road. Um, looking at their schedule, uh, they start off with a game I wouldn't want to play first, but Thursday night, Fox College Sports football game of the night uh, against the Buckeyes at home. Uh, sadly, it's going to be an L for the, Bu- or for the Goves. Um, week two, play Miami, Ohio, uh, have that as a win. Then they go to uh, Boulder to play Colorado, have that as a win. Uh, then home against Bowling Green State, uh, have that as a win. Then home against Purdue, or at Purdue, I'm sorry, have that as a win. Then they go on their bye week. Uh, then home against Nebraska, have as a win. Home against Maryland, have as a win. At Northwestern, tough place to play. Day before Halloween, loss. Home against Illinois, definitely a win. Uh, then they have a really tough three-game uh, schedule to end the year, and that's at Iowa, loss, at Indiana, loss, and home against Wisconsin for Paul Bunyan's axe, and that's a loss. Um, bringing them to 3-0 and in out-of-conference, 4-5, and which is good for tied for third in the West, 7-5 and overall. We have them going to the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, baby. Yeah, formerly the Cheez-It Bowl, formerly the B-Dubs Bowl. I think Michigan State played when it was the yep. B-Dubs Bowl. Not a bad spot. Been in that stadium a handful of times, literally on the field. It's a it's a good spot. And if you're piecing this together, we've got a lot of 7-5s and fives in the Big Ten. So there's kind of the cream will rise to the crop. And there's a lot of, you know, teams in the middle that could definitely bounce up or down from that 7-win mm-hmm. mark. And then some tail draggers after that. Um, and that is not meant to be uh, a preview necessarily of my third and final pick for today, which is Purdue, albeit that's probably where it's going to end up. Ah, Purdue, the enigma that is the Boilermakers. One week, they've got you going, hmm, they could be something to watch for. They started last season 2-0, and even beating Iowa. Then COVID hit, I think twice, and they lost out the rest of the season. They upset an Ohio State team a couple years ago in the Tyler Trent game for the ages. Then they lose to a Nevada and an Eastern Michigan. Mm-hmm. The boys in old gold produced some fantastic talent, like Rondale Moore, now with the Arizona Cardinals, David Bell, um, but they can't ever quite put it together. Honestly, if they had an even better-than-marginal quarterback, we might end a decent defense you know, who knows, because they do have some fantastic skill players, but we'll get into that. They've had just one winning season since 2011. That's kind of hard to believe, actually. I had to go and kind of quadruple check it. Coach Brahms first back in 2017. They haven't had more than eight wins in a season since 2003. 
four bowl games in the last 10 seasons. So three of those could have been winning seasons. They went six and seven because they lost the bowl game. The troubles usually lie on defense and special teams, and nothing points to that changing this go-around. Purdue has its second, yes, second defensive coordinator in two seasons, and this is a pivotal year five for Brom. He needs more than one shocking win. He needs consistency and a winning season. Is this it? Eh, sorry, Casey Abbott, my intern last year. Don't hold your breath. All right, key players. David Bell, likely and arguably the best or at least one of the best receivers in the Big mm-hmm. Ten, if not the country. But without a Rondale Moore to take some eyes off of him, can he produce for a full 12 games and be the guy that just busts out game in and game out? He's certainly done it when Moore has been shelved with injury, but he's got to have some help. Milton Wright, tight ends Payne Durham and Garrett Miller, and the quick Jackson Anthrop all have the potential to round out an outstanding passing attack for the Boilers. It doesn't help that quarterback, as I mentioned before, is pretty well up in the air and usually has been of late. The good news is there is experience and plenty of warm and talented bodies available, but who steps up is a huge question mark. Will it be Jack Plummer, Aiden O'Connell, those two got time last year, or will it be somebody else? I believe they have a, a transfer that came in this year. The running game is a big black hole. But the line does return three starters, so if a few guys can step up and give Purdue a steady hand in the backfield, the offense could really sing, which is no different than it has been for Purdue lately. The problem is, as it has been for quite some time, is the defense. You cannot allow more than 30 points a game and win much in this league, even the West. Junior edge pass rusher George Karlaftis is the marquee name, and in the new 4-3-D is poised to make an impact for sure. At linebacker, Purdue could get a lift from the addition of Auburn transfer OC Brothers. Brothers joins probably the most experienced group on the defense. Returning starters Jalen Alexander and Jalen Graham, two of the three leading tacklers from a season ago. The backfield got torched a lot in 2020, but does return a couple starters and should improve. Keep an eye on Cam Allen at free safety. Key games-wise, Purdue has definitely got some interesting games. Oregon State isn't great, but gives them a little early litmus test. Notre Dame returns to the schedule, but unless this is that true shocker game, Boiler fans shouldn't get their hopes too high. Big home games include Wisconsin and Indiana, and they've got a huge road game at Columbus, where they do, not necessarily at Columbus, usually at Purdue, but they usually do tend to play Ohio State well. Every team's got somebody like that. That is one team's kryptonite, and the other team just rises up. All right, so record game by game. This is where, sorry, Brom, don't think this is going to be enough to keep your job. We've got you beating Oregon State and UConn to start the season. Good on you, 2-0. Things are looking nice. Then a big L against Notre Dame. That's not going to feel so nice. Then a bounce-back win against Illinois. But then it's a streak of losses that's really going to kind of put the start to put the nails in the coffin. It's a loss to Minnesota. It's a bye week. It's a loss to Iowa. It's a loss to Wisconsin. It's a loss to Nebraska. The good news is that one lone bright spot in there is a win against Michigan State. Purdue has Michigan State's number at Ross-Aid for whatever reason, whether it's the two or three scores in the last two minutes onside kick game in the Drew Brees era or any other time that seems to happen a lot. Um, But then after they get that win and they start feeling good again, it's Boom, lost Ohio State. Boom, lost Northwestern. And I'm sorry, but the old Oaken Bucket is going to B-Town. All that leaves Purdue. 2-1 non-conference. 
fun little start. You're thinking, okay, we, we could get something out of this. We only need to get four wins. Now, two and seven, four and eight overall. No bowl game, which begs the question, does Brom show enough promise to keep his job, or does the coaching carousel continue in West Lafayette? We will keep an eye on that as the season goes. I do think he's a good coach. I like it when programs give guys time, especially a program like Purdue who has to look at some of that history that I shared. You want to be a winner. You want to have success. But sometimes it takes some pretty good cinder blocks to get you there. I think Brahm's a guy that can get it done. He's clearly recruited some star guys. I say give him time regardless. But my prediction at this point would be if he goes 4-8, and eight, Purdue's going to be looking for another coach. All right. On to third down. Fresh off our personal foul for the week, why not cover the Mount Rushmore of college football uniforms? This could go a lot of ways. Are you a fan of the classics, the alts that kill it, something in between? Ryan, let's, why don't you get us started with one, and then we'll just go back and forth. doesn't matter if we have any of the same. Yeah. We'll just go from there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of jerseys that are just classic, right? You know, uh, But I'll, I'll name a couple in mind, but... We get the the Oregon hoodie and I have in here. We have like ninety different jerseys or something. Some of them are cool, but there's there's just overkill with the look on some of these some of these jerseys. Like the Michigan State neon, disgusting. Absolutely mm-hmm. hate that. It looks like mm-hmm. a fifth grader duct tape stayed across the chest. Almost Mich- as bad as those Spartan whatever Spartan warrior uniform uniforms back in the Bobby Williams. Yeah, era. just yeah. not not good. Um, another gross jersey was the Michigan Bumblebee from Ugh. 10 years ago. That one was terrible. There's just been a lot of really bad jer- Notre Dame had those like green ones that were terrible Oh, see, recently. I like the green. I like the green. I don't like those. I, I like the classic leprechaun green, but like oh, the, yeah, yeah. the helmet was green oh, or yeah, something. No, no, no. Some you gotta ugly, stick with the gold helmet. It was weird, but oh no, it was the pinstripes. They wore pinstripes at Yankee Stadium. That's what it was. They were That's terrible. Uh, but I'm going to start off with one it's classic. I think it's Penn State, the classic white helmet. Um, just it's plain, but I like it. It's classic. They always have have had that. Uh, no names on the jersey, helmet, typically. No name on the jersey. Um, I think it'd be cool if they put like a Nittany line on the helmet or something once, or a P, like use an old school logo. But classic, absolute classic. Penn State has. Yeah, and, I, and I'm going to lead off as much as they're a semi enemy of Michigan State's, but got Michigan State in the Big Ten, and that's Notre Dame. I mean. The classic with the gold pants. The helmets are a little too gold for my life. They're like a little too little shiny, sparkly gold for me now. I liked them a little bit better in like the Rudy days when it was, you know, with the gold flecks in the paint, but they weren't like blind you shiny. But still, um, th- their look is, is classic and timeless. I do prefer their green, though, because that's really their colors. If you look at it, it's green and gold, not blue and gold. Um, go green with a little bit of a blue accent. I got to go Notre Dame for sure. Yeah, definitely had that in there. I'll, I'll do a different one. I had a few other ones. I love, I love George's jerseys. Classic. Mm-hmm. The helmet's classic. I think it'd be cool if they had like a white helmet with a red G. I think that'd look kind of cool. But just I've always loved their jerseys. They had the cool pro combat black. A few years ago, they've had like an all red. They can. They have a lot of different options that they go with um, with the red and black down there. It's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I had Georgia on kind of my alt list as well. I, you know, second for me, I got to go Ohio State. Um, I don't necessarily like it when they get too crazy with their alts, but their scarlet and gray um, are sharp. The Buckeye sticker on the helmet, 
you know, when they stick to that look, that same look that they've always had, that just pops, it's sharp, it screams college football to me. Um, it's vintage, it's classic, it's kind of like Penn State that way. It's a little bit more showy than Penn State because that's just the plain navy and white. But, um, yeah, the scarlet and gray of Ohio State uh, definitely makes a, makes my list. Yeah, uh, my my next one's Clemson, not the purple. I don't like their all-purple look, but they're orange uh, with a little bit of purple and white. I think that's a really cool look, um, as well as their helmet with the footprint on it. Always have loved that uh, since I was a young kid. Yeah, that's a good look. I'm going to go out west for my third pick. I'm going to say UCLA, kind of that powder blue and gold. It's not even really a powder. It's a little different than a powder blue, but it's just like a, I, I don't even know how to, it's almost like a sky blue. Um, yeah, just a classic, you know, and then they throw the the Navy accent on there, like the UCLA on the helmets. Um, you know, maybe part of it's that they play in the Rose Bowl, but those to me have always been classic. I love how they haven't messed around with them and, and changed them up year over year. Um, definitely would put UCLA on my list. Yeah, UCLA is a great one. Um, I, I, I like theirs a lot better than USC. I think theirs are a little much. But i got to go with Texas, uh, the burnt orange, and then the white helmet with the with the horns on there. I think we always have thought that's a cool jersey. Um, as well as Oklahoma, I think that's like my 4B, if you want to, or 4A. Um, the, what is it, are they crimson and is that, is that what they are crimson or are they just red and cream yeah they're crimson what? and well, crimson and cream is Indiana they're crim, I don't know maybe they're also crimson and cream but yeah OU's got the the uh, classic look as well um, for me I'm gonna go a little homerish here but I gotta go Michigan State but I'm gonna be particular I like it I I've never have been a big fan of the S on the helmet not because the the S is a symbol of Michigan State's not cool but because lots of schools could have an S Penn State could have an S any state could have an S. I like the Spartan helmet that they have now, but I also love that they put Gruff on there last year for a game. Gruff is a sweet logo. Just got myself a slick Gruff hat for this season. Just just love that look. And it's a little different from the other handful of Spartans teams that are out there. Um, I don't like it when they wear green pants on the road. I'm a fan of the all-whites on the road. I, like, I don't mind the all-greens at home, but I'm pretty much just go with the green and the white. Um, you know, in the white helmet, actually, I would say the one thing that I love as their alt piece that I would like to see as more of a half the season thing is the white helmet. I just think that is a sweet look. Well, rumor on the street has it that um, from some pictures of the um, equipment room, there might be a new helmet um, pro combat style bringing back the bronze helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't a bad, like, I didn't mind that as a one or two time thing with the bronze and the you know, as the accent color, that was kind of cool. I think some teams can overdo it. I mean, Oregon's got some cool alts, but some nuts alts. But that my 4A I've got to throw out there is anything I'm partial to Army, but Army-Navy, especially for the Army-Navy game, they come up with some wicked tributes. Those are sick. Like, if I was a player, I mean, that might draw me to go to a service academy to serve my country for five years just to play and wear the gear that they wear for that game in particular, just a classic game. Um, love that, you know, and it's never too outlandish. It's within a theme, right? It's within like a, a particular group of troops from a war or an era. Um, just incredible to look at. I mean, and there's, look, there's a lot of great jerseys and it depends on what you like. Do you like, you know, new age and funky, like some of the Oregon stuff? Do you like the classics like Alabama? Um, 
you know, I think we covered a pretty good list probably across yeah. those. And my, my sleeper before we're done with it was Boise State. I think they've had some really cool jerseys. Boise there. has had some cool ones, and they've got the blue field to kind of go with it too. So, like, when they are at home and they wear the all blue on the blue field, that is that is pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. We got the college football fix out for this week. So, for fourth down, we're back to the golf course. Um, despite an incredibly forgettable back nine for myself, uh, decided my head needed to move all over the place on my swing. We're going to review Thornapple Point here in Grand Rapids, which really is a fantastic track overview-wise, and then we'll get into the review. If you never played there, but you know the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, this is that on a golf course come to life. It's actually Planes because it's in the glide scope right next to Gerald R. Ford International Airport. It's Trains because there's a train track that runs through the middle. It's Boats. Because there's a river, and there's several holes that are on the river, and there's always boats and skiers and stuff on the upper part of the river there, the Thornapple River, and automobiles because the highway cuts right around it. So, I mean, you've got no shortage of things to look at, no shortage of distractions, but it's this really beautiful track cut out of a great chunk of land that incorporates all those things, and it just makes it so unique to Grand Rapids um, in a lot of different ways. So, overview-wise, it's... It's a, it's a really hard course. I mean, even when you play Blue Whites, which we played the mix of Blue Whites, I think it's a mid-130s slope. It's a pretty long course. The par fives are, you know, there's one shorty par five. The other ones are halls for guys like yes. us even. It's their three-shot par, par fives. The par threes are not easy. Um, you know, there's trouble. It's not unfair, but there's trouble. And it's a, it's a course where a round can get out of hand for somebody not ryan this time but me in an absolute hurry if you're not driving the ball in play that is for sure so that's kind of my overview you got anything to add to the overview? yeah no echo everything you said really really a, not an easy course by any stretch of the imagination but really fun um love that you see the planes you see the there's the train tracks never seen a train there the you hear the cars going by then the boats um just really fun uh great great scenery around a little hilly Flat, good mix of stuff, really good course. Blind shots, great shots, shape open too. shots. I mean, yeah, yeah. For a course that gets a lot of outings, it really was in pretty good shape. Yeah. All right. So, what do you? What would you say your your the best or favorite hole is, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I don't think there's an easy hole on this course. I'll say that first and foremost. I think they're all difficult. I think my favorite hole is 13, uh, mm-hmm. par five by the river, down the left there. I think that's really fun. Um, and I didn't do terrible on it like I usually do, so that was good. Yeah, I did. Um, lost two balls or took two penalties on that one. But that is, that's a beautiful one just for the sake of something different. I'm going to go actually with... Um, we're going to go with number 10. I like 10. It's kind of a, yeah, shorty, a short par 4. You Probably if you really got after it, I mean, that does see prevailing wind. You'd probably be going... You're, going south to north so you're not going to get much wind help but let's just say you had a good south breeze you could probably carry the creek even guys like us and and come close to driving it um but that's a fun little hole to get you started on the back nine worst hole i'll go first um pretty much everything on the back nine for me the other day but no in general there's no like worst hole as in it's a bad hole it shouldn't be on the golf course but minus 13 which i actually usually play pretty decent but had a nine on this time and for me, is the opposite. Is number five another really hard like stretches almost six hundred yards even from blue white par five, 
kind of a slight double dog leg, lots of room right, but the river's kind of over there. You're safe to certainly drive there. Our balls both went left. You got to kind of hack out of the hay. Um, it gets pretty tight in like your second shot landing area. Usually that hole is a seven or an eight for me and actually, you know, hacked out a bogey on that one, which is pretty good. But um, that typically would be kind of what I would call the worst hole. How about you? Agreed. Yeah, it's it's a great golf hole, but oh, it's hard. It's really, really never, difficult. Never do well on it, but definitely a good one. But there's no other ones I don't like. They're all... Yeah, there's no hole. I would say there's no holes that you're like, oh, this is a piece of garbage. I mean, it's it's a really well laid out course. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good to it. So uh, from a greens perspective, you know, it's tough because at this time of the year, usually the greens there are pretty beat up from outings. People just don't understand how to fix your ball mark. I mean, we walk out the backyard and play our own home course, Boulder Creek, chip and putt on a par three behind us. And I mean, I just take my ball mark repair tool just to fix everybody else's ball marks. It's just ridiculous how inconsiderate people are so if you're one of those guys screw you take a second and fix your freaking ball mark but that said it's probably in as good a shape as i can remember they were pretty soft because we got a decent amount of rain last week but they rolled really well um you know they have lots of tricky break to them and stuff i you know i would give the greens a good solid probably 3.75 to even close to a four that could be maybe a smidge quicker for my liking but in terms of their shape now for there they were really good yeah completely agree could have been a little faster but in really good shape how about scenery yeah um, i think that the the plane trains and automobiles and boats i think that that builds a scenery i think it's a it's a nice looking course trees um and just having water by it always always is intriguing to the eye i'll give it a four uh on scenery yeah i would agree it's definitely pleasant to the eye and honestly as much as is the planes kind of you distract ish they're really cool like just i mean to see it's not like St. Mark Bart's or wherever where those, you know, 747s like literally land within almost touching distance over the beach. But they're low. You can get a good feel for what they are. They're loud. Um, and it's just always kind of like a, a, an awe, a sight of awe to see these things get up off the ground because we were in the takeoff path this last time. Um, so I would agree. I'd give scenery a four there. Variety, a lot of variety. I mean, you, within the types of holes not so much like the par fives are all pretty straightforward long one shorter one that's got some tricky stuff around it kind of a tricky layout kind of plays the eye a little bit i think that's number seven um so that but that gives the par fives a little variety the par fours are short to long the par threes are pretty tough they were all back because we were coming off of an behind an outing and they had all the tees back which made them all like 180 yards which I'm not a fan of I want a little bit more variety than that. Typically, they would be kind of in the 140 to 190 range variety-wise. I mean, it's I would say it's good, not great. I'd, I'd give it a probably a three and a half for variety just because I think they could make, you know, maybe a, a one or two drivable par fours and maybe a couple of shorter but, you know, well-guarded par threes type of thing. Yeah, I completely agree, 3.5. Overall rating, I mean, I'm going to give Thorn Apple a solid four. It's, it's, right, it's definitely in my top five for sure maybe top three for courses we play around grand rapids year over year i mean pilgrims is, is kind of the runaway number one um, but it is right up there and the good news is we'll have another brand new track which is a top 100 public course that top you can play five course in michigan. and a top five course in michigan stoughton bray uh, we'll be playing that on friday so we'll come back fairly low slope like 119 or so yeah, i think from the tees we'll play at 62 6300 yards 
Um, but supposedly just spectacularly laid out links course. So we will come back with that and inevitably a lot more college football next week. And don't worry, Lions fans. Uh, we're waiting for preseason to kind of play out and all the cuts to happen before we get into a little bit of a Lions preview. All right. With that, let's end as we always do with our sprint. And on one of the conversations today, Ryan, prefer the consistent uniform look like a Penn State or Alabama, or do you love the game-by-game combo changes? Yeah, I like consistency uh, with jerseys. What would you rather watch, the NFL or college football? Easily college. What's your go-to tailgate libation? Yeah, this is going to be my first season uh, being legal to drink alcohol. Yeah, um, he's never had a drink before. Yeah, I've never had one before, never. Um, before turning 21, but it's got to be beer. Um, looking forward to just hanging out. and. All right, which one, though? Uh, probably probably Miller Lite or Beer for Bud sport, Light, like, or, you know, quantity, Light. like yeah. Keystone Light, because you can no, drink a lot of them. Or? Something, something's good, but you can, like Miller Light or Coors Light, gotcha. maybe, maybe a... Uh, Land Shark Lager from Margaritaville uh, Brewers down sh- in St. Uh, Louis. How about a little shout out to Maui Brewing Maui Company, Brewing, Bikini maybe, Blonde? There's so yeah. many good ones. We gotta go. You get, if you're if you haven't and you're in the Grand Rapids area looking for tailgate stuff, party stuff, just hanging out on the deck, uh, bonfire. Go to Total Wine and More uh, off of 28th Street where the old Babies R Us used to be. It's literally like it's it's like the size of a a mire a small I guess it's like the size of a family fair but it's all uh, alcohol and then they got cigars. Uh, it's pretty pretty cool place. Happy to be a sponsor just for trade. Uh, um, what was it called again? Total wine. Total wine. Yeah. Good all right. And last, favorite Cosmo Kramer focused Seinfeld episode of all time. Yeah, like I we said, I don't remember when, but he's definitely my favorite character. So many good ones, but I gotta go with the contest. <laughs> I'm out. All right, um, I'm with Ryan. I really do prefer a consistent look. I don't mind like a, you know, if Michigan State's gonna bust out the white helmet once or twice a year, or they're gonna kind of sport a cool like the Gruff Sparty logo. But not a week by week, not like Oregon where you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, granted, some of their combos are pretty sweet, but give me consistency. That's that's their tradition of the game. And with all the other traditions like walk-ons getting scholarships and stuff seemingly going away, give me tradition. Um, I am a college football guy through and through all the time. I find NFL games a good chance to take a nap. Now, I do like to watch them because I like football, and not, especially on a colder November day type of thing. Um, but I always use the line, as a Spartans fan, I can't afford to be mentally and emotionally vested in both the Spartans and the Lions on the same weekend at any given point. So give me college football. My tailgate libation, but it really kind of depends on time and place for kickoff. Whew, there's so many ways you could go. As UB knows, uh, he's got the blender cooler. I love the, to suck down the pre-made margaritas. Um as Jack Ebling and Dave Mad Dog DeMarco can attest when I used to mix up Bloody Marys and bring them over to them and join their um, tailgate radio show, I like a Bloody Mary. Um, I'm going to go with a Guinness. Even if it's a slight bit room temperature, it's still good. It goes well with everything. It'll warm you up. I'm just looking forward to tailgating, period. And my favorite Cosmo Kramer-focused episode of all time has got to be the Junior Mint. All right, give us a few social media reminders, Ryan. Yep, uh, follow us on Twitter at the Final Score 35. Next week, uh, we have the picks. First week of the picks, uh, we're going to do our 
picks for each game that's week zero. I think there's only five total, so and some of them are just like Southern Utah versus San Jose State or something. We're still going to pick it uh, because it's week zero, and we're excited for college football. So once we do our picks, uh, we'll put ours out there on Twitter, uh, and then reply back. Uh, send us what you think, and we're going to keep tally of who gets the most points. And uh, if, you, if you're if you the only one that does it, you'll be our guest picker week, week one. Um, JG, that might be you, my man. I don't know. Riley, one of you two. I don't know. Uh, on, but... Get on it, guys. It's potentially easy money. You know, get a few few guys playing. It's just for fun and for a chance to be on the on the show, maybe win a prize at the end of the year. Yeah, but uh, other than that, just uh, thanks for listening. Um, we're excited for college football and the NFL. Um, golf's heating up. We got the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's a great time of year. We got that. We got... NFL heating up, college the rest of our up. Big Ten previews. Baseball is getting kind of, Tigers are interesting. They're they're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, NBA summer league just got done. We're we're heating up sports. Uh, ba- college basketball is like eighty five days away or something. We're like we're close to the the mecca. Yeah, we're gonna have to run a two minute drill for sure on on top of our four downs because we're we're gonna be over brimming with topics and can't even get them all into our podium. So. Um, you know, keep sharing your ideas. You got something else in the in the vein of college football traditions, or you want us to break down another team outside the Big Ten. Like I said, we got the last four to go next week. I mean, throw it at us. We're happy to to chat about whatever. We have our running list of topics. We never have a shortage, especially now. Now that we've made it through the dog days of summer, uh, we got plenty to talk about. Um, if you aren't already, get off your ass and follow us on Twitter so we can have a competitive season long pick'em contest. You don't want to just know mine and Ryan's picks week by week. We want to know what you guys have to think too. Get in on it. Let's go. Nothing for you to nothing gain, nothing ventured. There's no there's no entry fee or anything like that. Just then just show up, follow us on Twitter, and give us your picks. Um, I'm gonna give a little shout out because if you notice and follow me or Ryan on Instagram when we tweet or when we tweet when we post uh, to our Insta stories to promote our. Um, podcast for the week i've had a different beer every week this week it's the maui brewing company bikini blonde so if anybody from the maui brewing company is listening we would more than be happy to take a case of or 12 of your beer for tailgates to share um in return for promoting you on a weekly week basis shameless shameless plug uh, but wink wink we like beer all right thank you again to team anders realtors our presenting sponsor Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, as Kramer once said, who turns down a junior mint? <laughs>